Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from the director of product marketing at a 65-year-old manufacturing company on how to beat the competition and grow your product business. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Jamie Lebrecht to the show. He's the Director of Product Marketing for Reliable Corporation, a 65-year-old manufacturing company that produces high-quality consumer and commercial garment care products all over the world. Today, Jamie's going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can best compete both with a new product and when updating an existing product. Simply put, how do you think about the market and scaling a product, right from the product development phase all the way through to multiple manufacturing runs? And finally, how do you continue to innovate to always be the leading one in the industry? Now on to the show. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on. You know, um, not often are we talking to folks that are part of a uh, of a story of 65 years in business and uh, being a major market leader with many product lines now. It's exciting to talk about one of those products, the Uberlite. You know, what's been happening over the last few months? I know that uh, Reliable has had some great growth and, and have found some opportunities throughout COVID. So just talk a bit about what's happening with Reliable, and then we can jump into the yeah. Uberlite and the success story there and talk about how to really scale products and be a market leader in a certain market vertical. Awesome. Thank you. So, you know, we've been having a, a lot of great success lately. Um, you know, we've had a couple industries that uh, have been strong during COVID. Obviously, we have other parts of our business. So we have a nice diverse business. We've purposely created a, a diverse business with many different channels that, you know, when stuff does happen and within a pandemic, you're not reliant just on your your one kind of revenue stream. You have different areas you can focus on. So uh, that's been really good. And then we also recognize the opportunity. So we've been... Uh, really hunkered down, doing a lot of product development. We have over 25 new products launching this year, next year, uh, just really trying to, you know, capture as much market share we can during a, what we see as an opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, that's great to see. Uh, um, obviously, it's it's great to see as, as a client of ours, uh, as reliable, but really great to see just that, that motivation and innovation, because while a lot of folks were kind of closing their doors and battening down the hatches, whether or not they were shrinking or growing, um, you know, it's good to see that, that you know, looking at that opportunity in a time like this, a tough time, and saying, okay, well, where can we develop? Where can we improve so that when the economy comes back out the other side, you want to have a front row ticket to that show? Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about Uberlite. This is very exciting. This is one of those products, and we talk a lot on the show about uh, owning your, you know, owning your niche, really yeah. being the winner, focusing on a very small vertical, creating a great product for that vertical, winning in that space. But what I really am excited to talk about today is after that happens. So after you win, then what happens? So let's first and foremost go back in history about the Uberlite. What yeah. uh, niche did you serve and how did you end up winning yeah. winning the game in, in the product space there? <laughs> I always like to say we were Uber before Uber came out. Uh, so about 13 <laughs> years ago, uh, we introduced the Uberlite into the sewing market. So we, you know, we have a very strong market within the sewing and alteration world. Uh, selling industrial sewing machines. 
And everyone was using old bulb lights. They burned out. They weren't very strong. So we introduced LED lights into that zone uh, 13 years ago with our lineup of Uber lights. Um, tremendously successful. We got a lot of great market share, became market leaders. But with any product over time, uh, you know, people started to copy us, came out with cheaper versions, started to evolve. And, you know, we just kind of became another light. Um, so we said, okay, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to develop something that can be more than just another light? So one, you got to focus on a great design. You guys did a great job on that. Uh, obviously focus on Thank that, you. but it's really talking about the, what else does it do to meet that consumer demand? Like what are, what are those pain points when a customer is using the product? What are those pieces that they need to update that put the, put yourself in their shoes, right? So when you're using this product, what does it mean? And then from there, start to look at verticals, right? Start to look at different areas we can grow and different areas we can, we can, you know, attack and, and try to take over market shares. So, um, you know, we've had tremendous success after the launch in the audio market with audio files, high end people with high end record players, um, something we would never have thought of when we were doing this, but they ended up, um, when you have a really high end record player, you like to be able to see the groove, see that it's all clean, see that there's no marks. So you don't ruin your record players. And the technology that's in the light really made people excited about that. And it looked great. And uh, so that market's really kind of taken off and it's almost created another market for us, which has been very interesting and very exciting. Well, this is great. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. First and foremost, you noticed that there was kind of a missing gap in the industry and you created the Uber light to, to serve one specific market in the sewing space. It was a better light for sewing. And then that became successful, which is the dream of many product startups, many hardware startups. The dream is to get there. Yeah. But I think it's also very important to think of the evolution of the line. One of the things when we're talking about developing a product from scratch is focusing on a very, very small vertical with a very small feature set and doing a great job. But that doesn't mean that the dream of what you eventually want the brand to be, what you want the lineup of products to be, has to die that day. Realistically speaking, you can focus on that to get to market, but never lose sight of what are the additional features that you want to have? What's a second version of the product? What are alternative types of products? Or what are other things that you could add to that, that brand? And then one of the things that, that you know, I really want to kind of unpack in, in detail in a bit is looking at other verticals for your technology, which is what you did very well. So first and foremost, when we look back in time at that, that Uber light, when you, when you won the market, what were some of the things that allowed you to be better than using just other lights or, you know, just have it using the light in your room or just using something you could clip on easily? Like what was it then that really made the Uber light the best light specifically for people in the sewing application? So obviously it was introducing LEDs, right? So they last longer. You had 50,000 hours of bulb life. Um, we had a honeycomb design that was anti-glare. So when you're looking at the light like this, you don't get a glare in your eyes. Um, and obviously we, we a flexible neck so they could flex and put it, obviously uh, one of the key features of the Uber light is being able to move your neck around. And, and it was a very heavy metal kind of neck that bent into shape. And uh, so it really kind of, checked off a lot of boxes for them, right? So it was a better light, longer lasting. You could put it into the shape you wanted. And that really resonated with the consumer. The brilliant thing there is that if you look at any of those features, none of them were um, overly complicated at the time. It was just, it was, it, you were using the technology that you had at that time, packing a handful of great features into one application, obviously doing good design, making it work well together. 
so that that thing would hit that 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 market need. And hindsight's obviously, you know, we look back now and and a lot of things use that technology, but at the time that was fairly revolutionary, which is interesting because you've now done it again with the redesign of the Uber light. So yep. 13 years ago, you made the best sewing light. Then, like you said, it started to um, start to be copied and people made alternative versions of it and whatever else. So you, you took the reliable model and said, well, you know, technology has evolved and so will we. And now you've made yep. this really enhanced version of the Uber light. So what was it now, if we look years later that you decided to do to say, okay, we're going to recapture this market and then we'll talk about how you then leverage that to actually enter into new markets as well. Yeah. So let's focus first on the recapture. Like, what was really some of the key ideas that um, that, that made you want to reach out to, to, to us and work together yeah. to create, you know, the the the, the current best uh, sewing light on the market? So I think you know when you kind of go through uh, any kind of product development, you start off with, especially when you're replacing a, a product that's been in the market for so long, is you you look at the the negative points, right? You know, everyone knows your positive points. You know why it's the best. We say it was always the best, but um, you start to look at the negative points. So um, technology had grown. There's newer technologies. There's newer lighting technologies that that had come out that we weren't leveraging. Um, there's, um, you know, people would complain the neck was very hard to bend and it was, you know, it needed to be softer and easier to, to move. Uh, the clamp was very bulky because it had a lot of electronics in the, in the base. And I know we did a lot of work going back and forth, trying to figure something out there, um, which really led to the big aha moment with this entire project is we, we changed vendor partners. So we'd been with a vendor partner for many years. They were a sewing light, uh, manufacturer and they just didn't have the technologies that we needed. And it opened up, um, you know, kind of a search. We found, you know, got lucky, found a really great partner to be able to produce the light for us that had access to the technologies that were more modern. And we were able to then take those technologies and put it into something that is a way better light um, that has features that, you know, you can change the color so it's softer on your eyes. So if you're doing a lot of work for a long period of time, it's nice and soft on your eyes. You can make it as bright as you want, really, really bright because some people like it really bright. Um, or you have like a daylight setting. And these are some of these are really standard features. But again, it's, it's a little bit of the marketing into the marketing world where how you how you sell these features, updating the silicone neck, um, introducing stuff like USB. So now it's low voltage USB, which is really exciting for us because it just uses a, a power adapter plug that the USB plugs into just like your phone. But it opens up all the markets around the world because now, yes, I've developed a, a 110 based product for the North American market. But we can now just by changing a plug and a little certification on the side, I can go to any market. So now we're going into the UK, we're going into Germany, we have, we're talking with Australia. So it has allowed us to make a global product by just looking at the different technology within it and a very simple innovation by just changing it to USB, which sounds very simple, has opened up a lot of great opportunities for us. We were able to take out a lot of the electronics because it's lower voltage, a much smaller LED driver, not getting into all the technical things, but um, it really allowed us to make a sleek design with some really cool features built in, but open up other markets, which is uh, super exciting for us. It's amazing how uh, hardware products can really scale and grow and how you can, once you have your, you know, your first version or your MVP or whatever it is out there, it's almost like a world of opportunity. And obviously yeah. you mentioned just that one key change and all of a sudden now you're, it opens you up to dozens more countries that you can sell it. Yeah. 
um, looking at other verticals, all that sort of stuff. Now, um, before we go into into looking at verticals, I remember talking to your team um, in, in the early days of, of of developing this product and coming up with the ideas for it. And something that stood out to me is like reliable always wanted to be the best, always wanted to use a new technology, wanted to be high quality, wanted to have great user experience and user reviews. But that isn't always the case, whether it's a startup or an established company. In fact, a lot of the times we find that the more established a company, the le- the more resistant they are to these sorts of changes. The old adage, right? If it works, don't break it. So what is it really um, in the re- reliable culture that that allowed you to be so progressive and always looking to to kind of be the leader kind of going forward as opposed to just relying, which you could have easily relied on your loyals of the past and continued, I'm sure, to have been successful, but obviously much more successful when you innovate and when you really want to create a great experience for customers. So what 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 is it about reliable culture that you would advise to whether it's startups or whether it's existing corporations um, that that are thinking about and are having that you know those mental gymnastic struggles whether they really should innovate now or whether they should just hang on to what seems to have been working in the past right looking forward as opposed to looking back. Yeah, I think it's very important to understand what your brand is and where your brand wants to be and and drive within that. So you know if you're a person making you know. $2 screws, you need to be doing the best $2 screws and really staying within that where reliable we are about, as you said, that we're premium, we're the high end, we're the experts. Um, a lot of our, our business is that B2B side working with the professionals. So if you do bring a product into that market, even if you take it to the consumer level, uh, which this light kind of goes back and forth, if you want that quality and, and that feel to that customer, because that's what our brand promise is, and that's who, and that's who we want to be. I think the other important thing is to understand where you want to be philosophically. So I've always said reliable, we could be a $200 million company in a week, but at at risk of what, and where do your margins go? And, you know, I've worked for other larger corporations doing hundreds of millions a year, and we still make this and you go to a smaller company and you do a lot less than that. And you make this in the end, right? So it's understanding what that bottom value is and what you really take home at the end of the day and how that relates to where your brand positioning is, where you want to be and where that product positioning is, because it's very difficult to say like, this is, you know, we're talking about the light. It's a $49 us light. Like it's not like we've developed something here that's $3,000 or a hundred thousand dollar car here. It's, it's, it's something that's really great value still, but um, it's really a premium product within that space. You can go get a $29 light that's out there, but what makes it premium? What makes it have those features that resonates with the consumer? And then how does that brand experience um, really meet that consumer need? So, you know, when you get the box, the first part, when you open the packaging, so it's nice packaging, it's got nice clip-in folds, you open it up, there's a welcome message there. It's, um, you know, the packaging is very modern. It's a matte finish. So it's not this glossy, uh, cheaper looking package. So it's really putting a, an experience into it. And then with all of your launch and your marketing materials, making sure that it's still that look and feel is what you want your brand to be. So if you have a very high end brand, you got to have, have beautiful you know, high videos, commercials, the marketing materials, and really match the brand presence to the, the product that we've developed. That's great advice. One of the biggest things that um, we always get into conversations with, especially 
when you're dealing a new with a new product and a new innovation and something where you, even if, like you said, if it's a slight modification, but it's better, then uh, you really don't need to be focusing on price as being. So you know, a lot of clients they'll come in and they'll say, "Okay, I've got this great new idea. It's gonna." It's going to kick the butt of the competitors out there because we have all these amazing new features. It's going to be better quality and I'm going to price it cheaper. Yeah. And that's my first you know, warning flag where I say, look, it's one boat or the other boat, right? If you're trying to make the most cost competitive thing, then that's a completely different design language than if you're trying to make something premium. And realistically speaking, for the vast majority of our clients, I would say 90% plus of our clients that are making a new innovation whether it's a 65-year-old company like Reliable that's coming up with the next Uber Light, or whether it's somebody who's making a GoFish underwater fishing camera or the Triplunger or something like that, yeah. right? Either way, no matter what way you look at it, they're creating something that is new, proprietary, and has tremendous value, especially in its launch, especially before they've saturated the market. So Jamie, when you're thinking about price and when you're advising kind of early stage startups, like, do you agree with the notion of kind of price high ensure that you have a higher quality product, at least to start before you start trying to be cost competitive with the existing competition or alternative products that are indirectly competition that you might be fighting with. What are your thoughts around that? Uh, it's a lot easier to bring the price down and it's impossible to bring the price up. So right. once, you, once you've created that market position and you've created that market price, that's your price. Um, and, you know, unless you're going to, again, go back to the drawing board, redesign and introduce something that creates that value and makes it that higher price point, you, you've set your price point. So a lot of conversation and a lot of <laughs> back and forth goes on when you are developing a product to really make sure you set that price point right. Um, you know, too high is too high. I think that's the concern anyone would have when they're doing something is, oh, boy, that's high. Or, you know, too low is, you know, that hurts your margins. And, and it's the margins at the end of the day is. Uh, what we what we're really driving towards, uh, you know, sustaining and keeping. Well, and that's the mechanics of a business, and especially an early stage company. But really, any new product launch, right? If you don't have margins, that seriously limits your ability to use those margins to scale. Whether it's yeah. your marketing message or, or or redesign or whatever else, margins are key. And if you have the luxury, and that's the way I really look at it, it's the luxury of having an innovation in that space. You are lucky to have that innovation, have seen the innovation, have understood that, right? Or you, that, that's yeah. really your golden nugget of opportunity that you've found. Don't waste it on burning your margins until I believe, and if somebody really wants to have the most cost competitive market, then at least show first that you can saturate that premium market. And once you believe that worldwide, you have sold to all of your customers, right? You truly have saturated that market. Now you could look at potentially doing a cost down yeah. if you want to hit the market below it. Maybe a cheaper version that that uses the same brand and doesn't sacrifice on certain qualities, but maybe is smaller or easier to produce or whatever else, so that you could bring that down and sell to a different demographic. But when you're starting out, uh, I say this quite often on the show, there's over 7 billion people on the planet. If you can't find a handful of people that are willing to pay a premium, then that innovation really isn't that innovative. You're not really yeah. solving a pain point. Realistically speaking, most innovations, even if they seem like a, a niche within a niche within a niche, Realistically speaking, that still is probably a fairly large market if yeah. you look at it, especially worldwide, which then comes into the, you know, the second thing that, that you've touched on a couple of times, which is, okay, you, you, let's say you've even partially uh, believe that you've saturated that specific demographic. Now you can start looking at other opportunities for your technology. So what did Reliable do with the Uber Light 
in terms of using that technology of the Uberlite to expand into other market verticals. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we really wanted to, when we launched the product, uh, focus it to show people the versatility of the different areas that you could use the light. Um, so obviously working with, um, you know, a great video partner that we have, we created this in a really great launch video um, that showed the product um, in many different places. And it was kind of a fun video. It's a father daughter going back and forth. And um, it's really engaging, which is really key. You know, I think a lot of people talk about doing really short videos. Because, you, you know, they all say, well, you only have seven, 10 seconds to get, well, you have that time to get their engagement because people will watch longer videos. It's a, it's a two minute minute launch video, but you don't feel like you've watched a two minute video. It's, you know, and, and people think about how many times you're on social media and all of a sudden you've watched the video and you look down, it was five minutes long, but that's because it was engaging. And so when you, when you're launching something, you got to find that what is going to be engaging to them as well as you want to show off your product and you want to show it in different places. So the video shows it in different areas. Um, the beginning of the video starts with a, a father and he's really getting into the light. Like he's showing how it flexes and he shows how it can plug into a computer with the USB and he's painting a little Warhammer toys at his desk. So it's just kind of showing that you can use it as um, kind of anything uh, you want to do. And the response we got from these Warhammer toys, because it's such a big community, which had nothing to do with the video, but it was that social response was pretty amazing. Uh, uh, it was really good, but it opened up the, now you're talking the model hobby market. So now we've gone out to the model and hobby market to, to get it done. Then you see the, you know, the daughter takes it and now it's in the sewing world because she's doing sewing. And then he goes into the workshop and he's using it in the workshop and then she's using it at her desk. So now you're into the office world. So by showing the light in the different areas that you can use it, which is what the intended purpose is, but really focusing in on some of the demographics that we wanted to use uh, and some of the areas that we wanted, the verticals that we talked about that we wanted to go after. When they watch the video, then when you're using that as a launch video, when you're trying to engage buyers and all the purchase people and the decision people that are out there, um, it gets them excited because they see the product to their customer. Right. Like where if I just show it on a sewing machine, I said, hey, uh, office place, like you'd go on a desk and you go, well, yeah, but that's not what you're marketing it towards. So it was very important for us to find a way to market to the different uh, verticals that we saw and uh, create a video that was engaging. So that, that was um, oh, <laughs> great work by the, the entire team to come up with what they came up with. The success has been really good. But um, really when you want to show your marketing materials and show that product when you're ready to get into that, you know, ready for launch, it's really key to talk to your vertical. Even if it is something very specific, then you keep it very specific. But um, if you have identified different verticals that you want to get to, make sure that you have marketing towards them. Even if we didn't do it in a video, new lifestyle, do a lifestyle shot and we can do it in different places. But when you're going in and you're marketing to one of those verticals, you've got to have, you got to show it in that vertical. Otherwise, they're they're not going to make that transition to what that you you think in your head it's a great vertical for them without them seeing it in practical use. By the way, for anyone listening right now that's at a computer or whatnot, uh, and I'll put the the direct link in the show notes as well um, across every platform. Uh, check out that video. Uh, just look up reliable Uber Light, and it's a great example of a two minute video that shows all of these different things that Jamie's talking about. So if you're looking, you know, thinking about launching your product and, and you want to really understand visually what Jamie's talking about, uh, look at that video because it, it's fantastic. Yeah. So, and, and that really, it hits all these kind of chords. It's emotional. It's got comedy into it as well. Uh, tastefully done and shows the different use cases. Now, in terms of those use cases, 
you know, obviously over the last 13 years, starting as a sewing light, you probably started to get some of that feedback or knowledge from the market. Yeah. Um, how did you choose those, you know, four or five different use, use cases in the video? Was it related to the past or were you somewhat guessing forward or a combination of both? It's a combination of both. I think the other thing is, is we started to, we spent some time identifying the market. So we, you know, you got to do your market research. You got to, like, it's great to say we wanted to get into the hobby world, but what is the hobby world using for life nowadays? Do they have something like that? And what are the stores that are within that? And then what is the, the market opportunity? Like, it would be great to go after XYZ market, but if the opportunity is too light, well, it's it's not worth our time where, you know, if you identify something as a much larger opportunity, and then it also goes to who our strengths are and who our customers are, right? So, you know, the great part about being in business for 65 years is we've pretty much dealt with everybody and we have thousands of different customers that we do deal with. But what are those customer segments that we need to ensure that we keep and we maintain? What are those market opportunities that we have with our current customer base, right? And making sure what we if we identify that they're, they're an opportunity and then what are those new ones? And then what is the scale behind that? So we, a, a lot of homework and a lot of uh, napkins were used to, to come up with some different ideas and really we just brought it down to focusing on our strengths and focusing on areas where we see growth um, that meet our brand values. Right. So um, it's an amazing light, but we're not going to put it into a dollar store because that doesn't meet our brand and that who we want to be and what that want to be. But, you know, so, you know, you go into a, um, an indigo or a chapters or something like that, that's in a different kind of world. That's a, that's very interesting. And, and that perception and that brand value really ties back to what our brand values are. That's great. So kind of to summarize, um, you know, develop great technology for a very specific niche, own and win that niche by creating a better product, a higher quality product, something that really wins with those customers. Then as you grow that, ensure that you keep up with technology, look to expand your verticals. And of course, every time you do, be sure that you're marketing to those people. Um, that's, uh, that's been a great talk, tons of insights, lots of knowledge there for whether it's an emerging startup in the hardware space or product developers, or even, you know, a long established 65 year old company that's continuing to innovate. Um, so Jamie, before, uh, before we say goodbye, are there any last, uh, nuggets of advice that you would give? Uh, for somebody who's working on or developing their kind of niche uh, technology that's going to change kind of their market? Um, I think it's important to test and, and test the markets. Um, I think one of the best part with the light is we changed the color almost at the last day from black to white. And that was just, a, hey, let's get a sample of it in white and see what it looks like and ask a couple people. And we asked some of our bigger customer base and uh, it just looks so good in the white. It, it was a very... Uh, unstrategic change, I think it was, uh, but it was something that we just said, well, let's just see this in different colors. So, and then test it and, and get out to your base and say, okay, what do you guys think? Well, what, what, what are the problems you see with this? Um, we have another uh, great product that we're working on with you guys to redo some uh, boilers that we've created. And yes. we've given samples to our customer base and say, hey, how do you like this? Do you like where the buttons are? Do you like where the steam comes out? Is that too big or too small? And just to get their feedback, because as much as we think we're the experts, we don't use the products every day, right? We don't necessarily, we're not the end user using the product, you know, a thousand times a year. We're with people develop it and we talk about it and we know a lot about it, but we're not the end user that's touching it. So I think it's very important to test um, whether you get 
the, a sample to your brother and get him to use it for a week or uh, really to uh, a, a, a person that's a what I call a power user that's really educated with the product to really try it out and get some great feedback because if you have something that's bad you'll hear about it <laughs> um, you know if, if it's uh, like you can get it early in the development product or process and doing all the testing I think it's uh, really beneficial in the long run. Well, that's one of the great things about prototyping, right? Once you have that, uh, you know, prototype that you can actually talk and put it in people's hands and have them give you real feedback, that gives you the opportunity to make any last minute tweaks or adjustments like, like you guys did right before it went to production on the prototypes. Okay, well, we think we've got, you know, this color is going to resonate better. And that's a simple change, but it happened through that um, small feedback loop, which is which is easy to do. It's it's free to reach out to a handful of people with your product. Yeah. Say, what do you think? How do we develop this yeah. forward? We're about to cut tools. We're about to go into production and get that last minute feedback. It also gives you that that level of comfort because I'm sure as as because that that Uber Light was, um, you know, I've got to give kudos to to the the uh, designers. They really enjoyed working on that product. It was great working with you as a company though because you were trying to be innovative. You gave us the job, say, Hey, let's use the latest technology to make a high quality, great product. So it allows the designers to really do their best work. But the reality is it was a beautiful thing at the end of the day, let alone the fact, yeah. obviously had all these features and all that sort of stuff, but it's probably very exciting for you to reach out to clients and say, Hey, this is our next thing. Like when clients looked at it, you tell me, right. What were some of the, some, some of the reactions in, in terms of their yeah. excitement? It's, it's, I want that in my house. Like that, that's like, you know, <laughs> when somebody says that, it's a, yeah, can I get one for myself? Cause I want that at my house. That's, that's a, you know, you know, you've done something right when people want something that you have like that, that just makes you feel good inside. Yeah. Yeah. So you get both ends, right. And you, you get feedback that you may have missed, that you may have overlooked that you may have been caught in your bubble and, and didn't see kind of a, out of the side that they would see, as you said, a user with, with a thousand views. And you also get all the positive reinforcements say like, you're really onto something. So, you know, push it, get it out there. Uh, okay. Jamie, really appreciate all your insights today. Um, very exciting uh, for anybody uh, that, that wants more information uh, about Reliable. Uh, what's the website? Uh, where should they be looking? And I'll, I'll, of course, drop the show in the show notes, all of your yep. direct links, as well as uh, Reliable's links and the video link as well, because I really want everyone to check out that uh, video so that you can understand how to how to really put a product out there for the, for the first look. That's great. Just visit us at ReliableCorporation.com. It's all nice and long. So ReliableCorporation.com. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, looking forward awesome. to chatting again. Take care. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having Bye-bye. me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time